You can grab a seat. That, uh, that was a move of God. Did you see what happened during that greeting time? Balcony Church invaded Downstairs Church. Yeah. The walls are being broken down. I can't believe it. No, that was fun. Turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 8. Uh, we're still in our season of foundations looking at the people God uses. Uh, we're going to be in this two more weeks before we get into Advent, which, as uh, Rachel said, is sneaking up on us quickly. We, we've talked about Samson. We've looked at the life of Hannah. We've looked at Samuel. And our text today comes as Samuel is getting older. And much like the move from Samson to Samuel, the text today is about another time of transition. Things are changing in Israel. And so if you've been reading along with the lectionary, this week you read 1 Samuel, I think, 5 up to 7. We're going to start in chapter 8. Next week it'll be 1 Samuel 12. So there's a gap we're skipping because we're only doing 8 today, but there's so much in there that you'll be reading in the coming week. We're we're just going to focus in on chapter 8 of 1 Samuel. I'll read it right now. When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as judges for Israel. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second was Abijah, and they served at Beersheba. But his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah, and they said to him, You are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us such as all the other nations have. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord. And the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It's not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. As they've done from the day I brought them out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Now listen to them. But warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will do. And Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking him for a king. He said, this is what the king who will reign over you will do. He will take your sons and make them serve with his chariots and horses, and they will run in front of his chariots. Some he will assign to to be commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties, and others to plow his ground and reap his harvest, and still others to make weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his attendants. He will take a tenth of your grain and of your vintage and give it to his officials and attendants. Your men servants and maid servants and the best of your cattle and donkeys he will take for his own use. He will take a tenth of your flocks and you yourselves will become his slaves. And when that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king you have chosen and the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. And then we'll be like all the other nations with the king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. And when Samuel heard all the people said, he repeated it before the Lord. And the Lord answered, listen to them and give them a king. And then Samuel said to the men of Israel, everyone go back to his town. All good things seem to come to an end, and Samuel's growing older, and he nears the end of his life. And as he, as he does that, he passes on his leadership to his two sons, who have an eerie, eerie resemblance to the sons of Eli. Remember those guys, Hophni and Phinehas, right? Eli was passing leadership down, and it was not a good thing. 
And the people aren't happy with the transition. It's deja vu all over again, right? They're feeling like we've, we've been here before and they remember with, when, with Eli's sons how they allowed the Ark of the Covenant to be taken into battle and it was stolen and the, the difficulty that came on the country, the people because of that. See, Samuel leads us to another story of a trusted father and corrupt sons. It says in verse 3, his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. And it was a concern. I mean, this is not an illegitimate concern on the part of the people. They've, they've been there, done that. They've seen what happens when the sons are not faithful like the father. And they say, we don't want to do there. We don't want to go there again. So they've got a solution. They say, really simply, give us a king. It sounds like a very normal request. Why not? Everybody else has a king, right? All the other nations around us, they've got a king. In fact, they say, as all the other nations have. And there's three responses to this request. First of all, the Samuel's response. It says, he was displeased. Now, it took me a while to run it down because it's a complicated phrase that you know how sometimes in one language you really can't say another, you can't say fully what this word means in this language in another language. Some of you that speak to realize that oh, there's just really not a word for that. Well, the Hebrew, it's a phrase. That word displeased in English is a phrase. And it, it literally, that one word in Hebrew says this. The word they said in his eyes was evil, bringing him sadness. That's what the word displeased translates from the Hebrew. The word they said in his eyes was evil, bringing him sadness. The scholars say it denotes the sadness of one's heart from an immoral quality of man's activity. You know, there's a, we all have been hearing and praying about the school shooting this week, right? But when you see something like that happen, I was sitting in my, my office when I first saw it flash up on the news and I thought, oh, and, and there's this, you see an act that is evil, but there's this feeling of sadness. Anybody else feel that? Not again. Teenagers just shooting one another. What is it? Right? That's Samuel, his first response is to, to see what they're asking and to feel this great sorrow. And then it says he prayed to the Lord. That was his, it doesn't say he responded to the people right away. He was sad, and he prayed to the Lord. That's why he was respected. You know, what if our situation and all these responses was to first seek God's advice or God's perspective? After he prays, we see God's response to him. God says, hey, Samuel, I'm used to it by now. You're just getting what I've been having for years. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. And not, he doesn't say just me. They're rejecting me as their what? King. As their king. Right? It's very important that you realize that. They have a king. They don't have a king. They have the king. And he says, Samuel, they're just rejecting you like they've done for me ever since. It's nothing new. They've been doing this for years. Always turning away from my leadership and turning to the other gods and turning to what they see. Samuel, you're feeling what I always feel. But he says, listen to them. First warn them about what a king will do, but listen to them. And so Samuel does that in verses 11 to 18. He says, hey guys, you want a king? It's going to cost you. It's going to cost you your stuff. It's going to cost you your children. And in a real sense, he says, you will become, did you notice that at the end? You will become slaves to this king. Now, I think this is Israel here. Any, any periods of slavery in their history come up in your mind? 
They've had about 400 years of slavery back in Egypt. And what's interesting, he says, and when you cry out to God for relief, that Hebrew phrase is lifted directly from Exodus chapter 2, 23, where it says the Israelites in Egypt groaned in their slavery and cried out. And their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. Samuel is specifically choosing words that would have been in their historical stories. And he says, when you get to be slaves again and you cry out to God, he won't respond. And he's using the exact same wording from that story. He tells him everything, but then we see the people's response. Just listen to their words in verse 19 and 20. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said. We want a king over us, and then we will be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and go out before us and fight our battles. See, there's, there's something going on here. They're not listening to reason. They're so engaged in what they want. There's a process going on here in their minds. God has said, this isn't anything different, Samuel, than what's happened ever since I brought them out of Egypt. They're always doing the same thing over and over again. And I want to tell you, one of the reasons that this chapter is so relevant 3,000 years later is because the process that they're going through is a process that still happens. Still happens today. There's a verse in Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes 1.9. It says, what has been will be again What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Now, Ecclesiastes is a difficult book to read. It's not always the funnest book to read, but one thing is for sure that it it communicates very clearly that the things we see today aren't really that different. There's these cycles in, in reality, in history, that we go through over and over. What has been comes back around. And as much as we'd like to think that we're the first ones dealing with what faces us, these situations from 3,000 years ago speak right into where we live today. So I want to spell out what happens in this chapter 8. I want you to look at the steps and the process and what's going on because I think if you just look at it and have a little bit of reflection in your own life, you're going to see how that plays out in our lives today. The first thing that happens, to start it all, is something that we're all very familiar with. Disappointment in human failure. Samuel has been a great leader. Things have gone very well for Israel for the most part, but his sons are a different story. And the people are disappointed with what's going to happen. This is not the way they wanted it. There's a human failure in these two sons, and it's brought about disappointment for them. How many of you have ever felt let down by somebody else? How many of you have ever ever looked to the leaders in your society and you felt let down and disappointed by what you see? Or maybe it's by people you've trusted. How many of you have ever been disappointed by what you see in your own self? Disappointment and human failure is something that I think we all have tasted and we know about it. And it, it, it's, it's all throughout history. It's even, people were even disappointed with Jesus. Even good people. John the Baptist, the one who would prepare his way, it says in Matthew 11, John the Baptist, when John, who was in prison, hmm, this is not what I signed up for, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else. John, John's disappointed. Jesus is not doing what I thought he was going to do. 
And see, when we're disappointed in others and their failures, when we're disappointed in ourselves, especially others that we count on, that we trust, it creates a sense of instability in our lives. You feel that, don't you? When someone lets you down, something that you're counting on, maybe it's a small thing, maybe it's a big thing, but it creates this uneasy, this sense of instability. Or when, when you let yourself down, I knew I wouldn't do that. I knew I wouldn't fail that way, and you do. And all of a sudden, you're like, Am I ever? your whole life gets shaky because you feel that instability. See, the most poignant picture of this in the Bible, I think, is after the crucifixion. The disciples have pinned everything on Jesus. He is their hope, and they've watched him die. And a few days later, there's this story of the two people walking down the road to Emmaus and Jesus shows up, though they didn't recognize him. And they felt that instability because what the hope they had put in Jesus looked like a failure. And it says in Luke 24, Jesus shows up and he says, what are you discussing as you walk along? They stood still, it says, with their faces downcast. That's that, mm, that disappointment. And one of them named Cleopas said, are you only visiting Jerusalem? And are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? He asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God, all the people and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. See, Human failure, what they thought was human failure, had led to a big sense of instability. They didn't know what to do now. How many of you have had a fa- somebody fail you and it's led to... And raise your hand. How many of you felt unsettled in your life because somebody's let you down? Right? We know that story. And, and that's how the Jews felt. Oh, it's been so good with Samuel. And they watched the boys grow up and they're like, oh, I hope they, you know... You see kids when they're little and you think, oh, maybe there's hope, right, you know? And then, but then as they get older and older and older, you can just feel the dread. Oh, Samuel's not going to live forever. And then he actually passes leadership on to them and they say, we can't do it. They wanted something to stabilize them in this time of instability. And the danger in this moment of darkness comes from where we focus our attention for stability. We just talked about Samuel's response. When, when he was displeased, when he felt that, oh no, these people have disappointed me, his first response was to ask God, to address God. What do, what do I do with this? Here, look at what the people are doing. But what they do is they begin to look at themselves and they begin to look at others. See, the process moves from disappointment to a feeling of instability, and if we don't catch it, we compare ourselves with others in that moment. Let me show you something that might illustrate this. Now, I'm going to need a volunteer. Before you raise your hand, this is what you're going to do. I'm going to give you this flashlight, and I'm going to bring you up here on the stage and put you uh, over there, and I'm going to make you walk with this flashlight Navigate the course that is the, in the dark. Okay? You want to come, Judah? Judah's going to do it, okay? Now, the problem is you're not going to see Judah behind the piano, but that's okay, all right? Now, Judah, go right over there by the piano. Okay? All right. Now, Sig's going to bring down all the lights, all the lights, all the lights, all the lights, okay? 
Oh, that screen's bright. It's a lot darker before. Anyway, Judith, now, no, no, come this way. This way, I want you to walk toward me with the flashlight. All right. Now, you did really, really well. Good job. Now, here's the trick. I want you to do the same thing going back, but you have to keep the flashlight all the time right there in your own face. <laughs> all right, give you a hand and let's have some lights come back up. Very well done. Lights back on. There we go. And, and you can jump. Oh, yeah, exactly. How many of you would have jumped off like that if you'd been up here volunteering, right? My point is this, and Judah did just great. But the reality is, walking over there with the light in front of you is a whole lot easier than constantly having the light in your face. But what we do in that moment of instability, rather than focus on God and where he's leading, we tend to focus on ourselves or we focus back on other people. We tend to look where we don't need to look. See, it plays out when we feel that instability because of human failure. We, we, we lose control and our tendency is to focus on ourselves or others. And they say, give us a king to lead us. We need a king. I need to focus on a king like everybody else has, right? Verse 5, verse 20, then we will be like all the other nations. That'll make us feel stable again with a king to lead us and go out before us and fight our battles. See, when things get tough, we often look for a distraction to take the pressure off. Peter denied Jesus three times. You remember that? And then after the resurrection, um, Jesus comes to them and he and Peter go for a walk after they have a meal. Well, I'm assuming they go for a walk. I don't know that they do that, but they, go, they have a conversation. And Jesus says to Peter three times, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love? It's a very telling conversation. It's a very, very hard conversation for Peter who has said, I will never fail you, and then has failed him three times. And three times Jesus says, do you love me? Yes, feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. And in that moment, it says in Luke, or John 21, Peter turned and saw the disciple who Jesus loved. He turned and saw John, that John was following them. And, and this was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and said, Lord, who's going to betray you? And when Peter saw him, he thought, let's get the spotlight off me. He said, Lord, what about him? What about him? See, that's what we do. When we feel unstable, when things aren't going, when we're having this conversation with God and we don't like it, it's just tense and difficult, we'd much rather focus somewhere else. Samuel, in that moment, is displeased and turns toward God. The people are unstable and begin to compare themselves. To, we have to do something. We have to be like the other nations. And even when Samuel reasons with them, the next step in the process is as you are going down that pathway, we refuse to listen. He tells them all the problems that will come with the king. They say, no way. It's interesting in the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah recounts this story to the people who are coming back after exile. And in Nehemiah 9, he says, but they, our ancestors, became arrogant and stiff-necked, and they did not obey your commands. They refused to listen. And failed to remember the miracles you performed among them. They became stiff-necked and in their rebellion appointed a leader in order to return to their slavery. See, Nehemiah understood exactly what had happened at this moment that we're talking about. 
This instability feeling leads to a misplaced focus which closes down our openness to trust and then finally we get deceived. We are deceived by our own perceptions. It's important to know they want a king. We feel like we're not protected. Their their sense of, or their perception of instability is amplified when they look at the other nations. But in the reality is, if we look back in verses 6 to 8, especially verse 7, God says, they have rejected me as their king. See, they had a king, but they didn't feel like they did. Their perception was that they didn't have a leader. They wanted a visible king like all the other nations. And if you read through, along with the lectionary this week, you're going to read about the selection of Saul as the first king. And you're going to see the, the role that perceptions plays in that. I really wanted to go into this in the sermon, but there's just not enough time for me to talk for you for six hours. So, but, but in 1 Samuel 9, verse 2 and verse 20, it's talking about Saul. He had a son named Saul, an impressive young man, without equal among the Israelites, a head taller than any of the others. Sounds like a basketball coach looking, right? My girls mock me because we'll walk through the mall in a new town and I notice all the six foot two girls. I'm like, hey, I wonder if she's in high school. Does she want to move to Hope? Right, because they're looking for the head taller. And that's what they say. And then in verse 20, it says, Samuel says to Saul, and to whom is all the desire of Israel turned, if not to you and all your father's family? He's a head taller. And that phrase, the interesting thing is that desire of Israel phrase, that desire Hebrew word, Rings a bell. It's been used before in the biblical story. Back when Eve looked at the fruit and saw it was desirable. She saw the fruit and saw that it was desirable and she took it. You see, the the person writing the story is saying, look, we've always done this. We've trusted our perceptions and our desires and we've grasped for those. In 1 Samuel 10, 23 and 24, I love this too. They ran and brought him out, and as he stood among the people, he was a head taller than any of the others. If you didn't get it before, guys, this guy is literally a head taller than anybody else. And Samuel said to all the people, do you see the man? Do you see him? The Lord has chosen. There is no one like him among the people. See, their perceptions, he looked great. What you don't see, you'll see it as you read it. They had to go find him because he was hiding under the baggage of all the people. He was hiding. That's the kind of king they chose. But, but they had, this is what kills me. They have God as their king, but they say, no, I like the tall guy. I'll, I'll take the tall guy instead. I can't see God. I can see the tall guy. He looks really good. Doesn't he look good? You can see the Jewish mom saying, yeah, he looks really good. good. There, there's all that going on. This is the process that they went through. And I think if we're honest, we see it in our own lives. We get let down by other people or even by ourselves. And we're discouraged because it feels unstable. Life is not happening the way we think it should be. It gives us this feeling of instability. And at that moment, at that moment, when we feel that shakiness, we have a choice to look for, for others or something else and, and refuse to listen and trust our own perceptions Or we have a choice to return to reality. That's what we need to do in that moment. Remember, we believe worship, what we go through here in worship, is reconnecting to what we truly believe, to what we know to be true, even though we don't see it. And Tim did a beautiful job. We started singing, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. 
what a, what a great and majestic hymn about the power of God. And then as we see that, we realize, wow, this has not been a week where I lived like I love the holy God. And so we say, Lord, I need you. I come, I confess. I need you. Oh, I need you every hour. I need you. And then, and then we're reminded of this song that's kind of echoing all across the Lord. How, it's all God's children singing, glory, 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 hallelujah. He reigns, right? I can sing it better than I can say it, obviously. See what we're doing? We're, we're in that moment of instability. Oh, I feel, oh, I, I need you, I need you. We're turning our focus to what is really true. And then what do we sing? Jesus, hope of the nations. When I feel unstable, where do I look? I look to Jesus, hope of the nations. You guys have returned to reality. You've confessed it with your mouth. It, despite the instability we feel, we've said this is the truth. And we have to refocus in these moments on what's true about God, about us, and about the world we live in. Philippians, Paul writes, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. In that moment of instability, when the temptation is to look to others, for security. The temptation is to look to some other scheme or some other power. I've got two minutes. I'm going to go off on a tangent. When you watch the news or when you see what's happening on Facebook and it upsets you, because I know it does, because it upsets me. I can't believe the world that we live in. We feel unstable, unstable at that moment. We feel like, what is, what is happening? We have a choice in that moment to fear, to look for people to make it better, to look for solutions, to compare ourselves to other countries. We have, a, we have a choice in that moment to do that or to return to reality and confess that all God's children singing glory, glory, hallelujah, he reigns. I don't, I don't get it. I don't know how he reigns. I don't understand, but I do not have to fear. In those moments, shut CNN or Fox off. That's a command. Shut it off. Open the Bible to Psalm chapter 2 and read about how the kings of the earth take their stand against the Lord's anointed, but God in heaven laughs because he is the one who has appointed the king. And Jesus is the hope of the nation. That's what we have to do in those moments of instability. And posting on Facebook is not going to fix your instability. Just a piece of advice. What does the truth say about this desire we have for someone to fix our problem? The truth that we've lived out today as we've worshipped says that Jesus offers us a stability deeper than our instability. It's, it's a fact of life that we're going to feel shaken. It's, that's the nature of the world. It's broken. And, and some views of reality, if we adopt them, some truths that we hold on to, if we think that this political leader is going to save the day for us, or if, if this cause is going to change the world, once we grab a hold of that, those truths are not strong enough to hold us up in difficult moments. And life comes to shake, shake our hands loose from the things we're leaning on. In Hebrews 12, says, it's talking about this, this time back when the children of Israel were walking through the desert, but, it, but the writer of Hebrews says, at that time, his, God's voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. 
The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. In the moment of disappointment, when you feel shook, where are you going to look to for stability? The gospel says to us that Jesus is where we should look, and it also says that he is already present with us. They already had a king. But Jeff, it, it doesn't look like Jesus is with it. Look at this world. How, why has he got it? I don't know. He's the king. Bruce is talking about this in the adult Sunday school class. The point is not that we understand what Jesus is doing. The point is that we surrender to trust as he does what he's doing. You see, that's why it's called faith. Trust in the truth when experience, feelings, senses, and perception want to push you in another direction. The scripture's clear. Jesus said to the disciples in Matthew 28, 20, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. He said to them in John 14, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. You are not alone. Even though you feel unstable, that's your perception. And that, that's where it, it is a statement of faith to say, I'm going to trust you in this, God. I'm going to trust you. I don't get it. And there may be things he calls you to do, and who knows, maybe even he calls you to post something on Facebook. I don't know what he's going to call you to do. But you are not alone. You don't have to look outside or compare yourself to someone else or fret when what you think should happen doesn't happen. We don't have to compare. We don't have to trust in our own ability to understand because he knows deeper than our perceptions. See, had the people at that moment been able to rest and trust in the fact that they had a king, they had the king, and that even though it looked like Samuel's sons were going to be horrible leaders, that they could trust that their king was ruling. It's so much like a parent and child thing. How many times, parents, do you just want your children to say, trust me in this, you can't understand it, there's no way you're going to figure out, but you're going to be okay, I got you. Right? And God's, sometimes I think God must just say, oh my goodness. I'm glad he loves us because maybe he doesn't say, oh my goodness. But we're like, but God, what about, what about, what? And he's like, oh yeah, I never thought of that. God, God has got this taken care of and he will lead us through even very difficult circumstances. I think of Jesus the night before he, just before he was betrayed, right? It says in John, thir- John 13, um, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world. He knew it. And go to the Father. And having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. But Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Jesus, in that moment, when should have been the most unstable moment of all, he knew God God was doing this. God was working this through. The truth is, we we really can't know that deeply as human beings. We can't see beneath what's happening, but Jesus can. And we're just like the Israelites. We we see it happening, we get concerned, and we try to find a way to fix it. We, We look to others, we compare ourselves, whatever. 
We try to find a, a cause or a leader that's going to make it all better. We feel the instability. And at that moment, what we have to realize is that he is the leader we long for. That longing in you for a leader is put there to draw you to him. We crave a solution. And often we get locked in and we lose our, our ability to listen. We start trusting our own perceptions. But the only solution, the only thing that can meet that longing is Jesus. Now in the new year we're going to go through in the Gospel of John. There's seven different statements where Jesus says, I am this. And it's a reminder to us to realize that he is actually what we need. One, one is, is John 6.35. Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Jesus is what we need. He is the one. And I, it doesn't mean everything's going to be great. I'm not saying, hey, sign up with Jesus and it all goes smooth. In fact, I would say if you sign up with Jesus, odds are it's not all going to go smooth. But what he's saying is, I'm enough. You don't need smooth if you've got me. In John 7, on the last day, last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. He says, if you're thirsty, you have that longing, not only will I fill you up, I will take what I'm giving to you and I will flow it out to the world but you've got to trust me. You've got to come to me instead of looking to every other way to fix this problem. And you've got to rest in what I give you. It may not be the solution that you wanted, but he's saying, I'm with you in this. See, we all feel the shaking and the instability. The question is, at that moment, where do we turn? Let's pray. God, we thank you for the story of people who are so much like us in so many ways. And I just thank you that you are patient, that even in the situation where people were turning away from you, you acted in a loving way. And I, I'm thankful that in Jesus we see that you always act in ways that are loving toward us, even if we don't understand it. And so today, God, when we feel that disorientation, that shaking, that instability, God, help us not to turn inward, help us not to look to others, help us not to compare Help us to turn to you and say, what, what, what are you calling me to in this, God? What are you inviting me to? What are you, what are you saying to me? And how can I grow in my trust in you today? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I mean, there, thank you. There's the prayer for your whole week. You come to that moment of instability, and it's that point where you say, what can I say? What can I do? It's all for this heart, oh God, completely to you. And I'll stand with... Oh, I can't do it again. <laughs> Arms high and heart abandoned. Heart abandoned. Heart wide open. In awe of the one who gave it all. That's the one you can trust, the one who gave. That's your prayer. Stop. Just sing that song all week. Honestly to God. And you're, you're not comparing yourself to others. You know, the thing about Samuel, let me tell you this last thing. If I'd been Samuel, you know what I would have done? I would have said, listen, I'm the, I'm the prophet here. Just shut up and go home. <laughs> you guys don't know what you want. And, and he would have been right. Mm -hmm. But what he did was say, okay, God, what do I do here? What, what do you want out of this, God? Not what I think is important. What do you want out of this? And so many of our situations, we think we know what needs to happen instead of saying, God, what do you want out of this? So sing that song. Amen. Amen. Amen.